0: Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 1. Psalm 1 Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth but I like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So far we read God's holy word. The text is the last verse there which we read. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, and understand that's the righteous ones, righteous people, but the way of the ungodly, and that's again plural, the way of the ungodly people shall perish. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 1 clearly focuses on the blessedness of the believer. Verse 1 could be translated, oh the blessednesses of the man, the blessednesses of the man, the one that delights in the law of God, that meditates on that law day and night, the one who shuns the ways of wicked men, will not listen to their advice, will not stand in the way with them, will, will not abide in their homes he wants nothing to do with the wicked god blesses that man abundantly in fact god compares him to a tree that is by the rivers of water a tree that is planted near water that it always has supply and it produces fruit god says that man is like that god makes a man to prosper spiritually he has the life of christ in him He has the ever-flowing fountain of the Holy Spirit in him, and he produces good works, works of thankfulness to God. That's part of his blessedness. God makes him to be spiritually prosperous. And then the contrast in verse 4. The ungodly are not so. They are not like a tree planted by rivers of water that produce fruit. They're like the chaff. They're like the chaff after the wheat has been harvested and the rest of the plant is simply thrown back on the ground and the wind blows it away. It is of no value. They're dead. He goes into the judgment of the ungodly in verse 5. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment... There is no place for them in the congregation of the righteous. Those to whom Jesus will say, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. There's no place for them there. And now, verse 6. Verse 6 will sum it up. How do we know that this is true? And what does this all mean? The word for indicates it's concluding, it's giving a reason why all that he has said is true. Verse, verse 6, for. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous ones, but the way of the ungodly ones shall perish. I've noted in the language of the text, first of all, the plurals there, but notice a couple of other things in the text before we go into the, the sermon proper. And that is, first of all, it is the way way stands out the way of the righteous the way of the ungodly one would expect that the text would say God knows the righteous but the ungodly will perish and that's true but the text emphasizes the way the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly and so the text the sermon will emphasize the same But also notice the difference in the verbs there. The Lord knoweth. That's a a constant activity. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. And that's okay for a translation, but the idea is it is perishing. It's in the process of being destroyed. So with that in mind, let's consider this text under the theme, the Lord knoweth the way well notice in the first place the contrasted ways secondly the different ends where they end up those two ways end in very different places and thirdly the unique comfort that the lord knows the way As I pointed out, the word way is is emphasized in the text, so it's pretty important that we understand what that is, the way. It's a very broad term, way. It includes really the whole of a person's life. And it reminds us that we are on a pathway, and a pathway moves. A pathway takes you in a certain direction, and it ends in a certain place. It's a road, a pathway that you can walk So we're on a path. Every one of us is on a path. Whether we're at home or school or work, we are on a certain path. Everything we're doing, speaking, thinking, whether we're working or playing, it doesn't matter. We're all on a certain way, a pathway. We're moving. From a spiritual point of view, that path has a direction. The path is either toward God or the path is away from God the path is either the way of obedience to God or the path is the way of disobedience of sin against God the way of man includes all of his life his manner of living genesis chapter 6 verse 12 makes that clear genesis 6:12 says and god looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Everybody's life was corrupted. His way, his manner of living was corrupted. It includes a man's speech. As Psalm 139, verse 1 says, I will take heed to my, Psalm 39, rather, verse 1, I said I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. So even what a man says is part of his way. And and the inward thoughts of his heart are part of his way. That's evident from Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. My heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. My motives, my thoughts, my desires. That's part of my way. So here the text contrasts two different ways. They could not be any more different from each other. The way of the righteous. To understand what that means, the way of the righteous, we turn to God because God is righteousness. God is righteousness. That's one of its attributes. That God is righteous. To understand that, first of all, we look at God himself and we say God is a perfect God. There is no evil in God. There is no corruption in God. He is absolute perfection. Morally and in every other way, God is perfect. God's righteousness means that he is always in harmony with himself. Whatever he says is in harmony with himself. Whatever he thinks is in harmony with himself. Whatever he plans, whatever he does is always in harmony with his own perfections. He never deviates. He never strays. That's his righteousness. That he is always in harmony with himself. Now the text speaks of a person, of persons who are righteous. And if people are to be righteous they must be then in harmony with God's righteousness and that's God's law the law of God is the revelation of God's righteous will for us so a man who is righteous is in harmony with God's righteousness in harmony with God's law all right but now the bible uses the word righteous in two different ways it's very important to understand that in the text here first of all from a legal point of view righteousness means that god looks at a person and says you are righteous you are in harmony with my law And when we speak of legal righteousness, we're usually talking about justification because we're not in harmony with God's law. We're sinners, we're corrupt, we're guilty. And yet God says to us as his people, I see you, I judge you to be righteous. That's justification. That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to his people. The only way God can say you are righteous is when he looks at us through Jesus Christ. Eternally, he has justified us in Jesus Christ. He sees us as righteous. And in time, he gives us faith, and we embrace Jesus Christ, and the righteousness of Christ becomes ours. That's righteousness from a legal point of view. But sometimes the Bible uses righteousness in an in ethical sense. And then it's describing the lifestyle of an individual, comparing his life to the law of God, that he lives in a righteous way, in harmony with the law. Now, obviously, that can only be a righteousness in principle. It's only the start of righteousness because even in a a believer's life, if he does any good, That good is so polluted with sin that it had to be covered with the blood of Jesus Christ for God to say that's a good work. But he has the start. It's what the Heidelberg Catechism describes this way, that with a sincere resolution, he begins to live not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. He begins to live according to all the commandments of God. That's why in Genesis chapter 6, when God said the whole earth has become corrupt, then it took special notice of a man named Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Noah was a just man, righteous. Same word, same word as in the text, righteous. Noah was a righteous man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. That's how we know that we're not talking about justification by faith so much. That's not the emphasis here, although Noah was justified by faith. But it's talking about his walk. He walked with God. It's the ethical righteousness. And that's the righteousness used here in Psalm 1, verse 6. The way of the righteous. Are they justified? Yes. But that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is that their life is characterized by righteousness in opposition to those who are, have a life characterized by ungodliness. The righteous one is described earlier in the text. He's the man who delights in the law of God, meditates in it day and night, shuns the way of the wicked, wants nothing to do with their lifestyle, will not abide with them. He sets his heart to obey God. He fears the Lord. He walks in his way. He seeks the wisdom from God to direct his feet in the right path of righteousness. He desires to be in harmony with the righteousness of God. That controls his thoughts. That controls what he says. That controls how he lives He weighs his words. Will this word be something God approves, will I say? Will this word be something edifying for God's people? It controls his thoughts. Wicked thoughts come into his mind as as they do everyone's mind. We have a wicked nature, so the thought comes there, but he doesn't allow it to fester. He doesn't allow it to remain there. He gets rid of the thought. He wants to be in harmony with God's law even in his thoughts. All of his or her life is controlled by that desire to be in harmony with God and his law. Not because it earns him anything, it doesn't, but because he loves God. As a wife, a righteous woman is is one who loves her husband. She lives unto him, she lives for him. She seeks to assist him in her calling because she understands that's God's will for her. As a mother, she is diligent. She loves her children. She serves their needs physically and spiritually. Godly mother she is is evident from what she reads, what she watches, what she texts or emails righteousness that's her standard the righteousness of god a righteous man husband likewise is governed by that same desire he is faithful to his wife he loves her he lives to do good to her he lives to do good for her he is devoted to her alone because that's god's will for him as a father, he leads his family in the right way. By his words, by his example, he leads them in the path of righteousness. Righteousness governs the life of a godly single individual, an individual that does not live for himself or herself, doesn't live for money or pleasure or good time, but lives for God that seeks not the approval of the world, doesn't care what fellow workers think about him or her, but seeks only God's approval. And that determines dating and entertainment and how money is spent and, and how free time is used. It's righteousness. That's the way of the Righteous. Now, the striking thing is, according to the text, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. He knows that way. What does that mean? That the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It does not mean merely that God knows about that way, the way we can know who is the President of the United States or how much something costs in the store. That's not the knowledge that we're talking about. God has that, of course. He's the all-knowing God. He knows every single individual of the billions of people that are on the earth right now. He knows every single one. He knows the circumstance. He knows all their life. But clearly the text means something more than that when it says the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. And there's three different aspects I'd like to bring out concerning the knowledge that God has of the way of the righteous. First of all, that knowledge that God has of the way of the righteous is a knowledge that is of the essence of the thing. The essence of the thing. Psalm 139, 1 says, Thou hast searched me and known me. God has searched the psalmist, and known him. He knows him right down to the very essence of the man. This is the knowledge of experience. Not merely that I know about farming. A farmer could say, I know farming. So God knows the way of the righteous. He doesn't merely know about it. He knows it from experience because it is his way. He is the righteous one. And he knows the way of righteousness. He knows it perfectly. He beholds his people walking in that way and he says, I know that way. That's my way. I know it perfectly. And he demonstrated that when he, God, came in the flesh in Jesus Christ and the way of Jesus Christ was the perfect way of righteousness. Absolutely. God knows intimately, deeply the way of the righteous because it's his way. Secondly, the knowledge of God, of the way of the righteous, is the knowledge of love. Deep, intimate love. That's why, and that's the way it's used in Genesis chapter 4 when we read in, that Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and had a child. Deep, intimate love is expressed by the word to know. The Lord loves the way of the righteous. He delights in it. When the Lord sees the way of the righteous, he's beholding his own work In the righteous, it's coming out in the way they live, and they're coming out in the way they talk, and He delights in that. That's my way, that's the fruit of my work in them. He loves, He knows the way of the righteous. The love of God is on the very pathway of His people. He loves His people, yes, but His love is on their pathway. So it's the knowledge of the deep knowledge of experience knowing the essence of a thing that's first of all secondly it's the knowledge of love and thirdly the knowledge of God here in the text is the knowledge of ordaining determining love that's the way it's used in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 where God speaks to Jeremiah before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, God said. Now and then he's going to explain that. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet. The knowledge of God for Jeremiah was not merely that he knew who he was, but that God in love ordained that he would be a prophet. The pathway of the righteous is something God has ordained for that righteous, for those righteous people, in love. God determines the pathway of every one of his people. He he includes in that, of course, the trouble that God's people have, the sorrows. The temptations, the hardships, everything they will face is perfectly planned by God with a purpose. And their good works are planned. Do you remember how Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2? And he said that we are created in Christ Jesus... Unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That eternally God or not only planned, ordained, but he prepared. That's really the idea of Ephesians 2, verse 10. That he prepared the good work that we would walk in. So much does God know The way of the righteous. He ordains in love that way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but in contrast with that, the Lord, the text does not say the Lord knows the way of the ungodly. He does not know it in the sense that we just talked about, in the essence of it and the the, the That is, from his own experience and the love and the determining love of God, he does not know the way. The way of the righteous includes all their life, the pathway that they travel, the way that they live. This is the way of the ungodly. The word ungodly is normally translated in the Old Testament simply wicked, and it means The most basic meaning of that word is to make a loud noise and the idea is it's a revolution, it's a a rebellion. It's the people that make great noise in their opposition to God, They're, they're clear in their hatred against God. That's the ungodly. It's used in verse 1, and there it's a series of things. And we can take all of that then and say, who is this ungodly person? Well, it's a person who rebels against God. It's a person who aims for the opposite of what God says. God says, aim for my glory, and they go in the opposite direction. It's someone who deliberately tramples underfoot God's law. That's the ungodly. Their way is contrary to everything that God's law demands. Their way is crooked and perverse. Where God's law is straight. You know their way. Anytime you turn on the television set, you'll see the way of the wicked. Anytime you go on the internet, you'll see their way plaster it all over look at look look at my life there's the way of the wicked you turn on the radio and listen to their music you'll know the way of the wicked you can hear it in the goals that they are pursuing money prestige an easy life good food good drink a nice car that's their life god is not in all their thoughts there is no God, they boldly assert. And if they do speak of the name of God, they blaspheme God's name or they invent God of their own imagination. Jehovah does not know their way in the sense that we talked about knowing the way of the righteous. Of course, he knows their activities. Of course, he knows all about their life. He's determined that too. But not in love He abhors their way. It is perverse. It is contrary to everything that God is and everything that his law sets forth. He hates their vile talk. He hates their lies. He hates their fornication. He hates all that they do in their life. God's wrath, not his love, but his wrath, is on the very pathway of the ungodly. On their pathway. The curse is not only found on the wicked, it's in their house. It's on their job. It's on their playing. God's curse is there. There is no grace there. There's no love. There's no delight upon them or their life. Psalm 711, which we sang this morning, God is angry with the wicked every day and Psalm 11, verse 5, The wicked and him that loveth violence his soul, God's, hateth. He hates it, and he hates them. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but he hates the way of the ungodly. Accordingly, he has determined two different ends for that pathway for the two pathways the way of the ungodly shall perish it will be destroyed it's the word that describes egypt after god decimated the land with 10 terrifying plagues it was destroyed it will perish. That's the word used with Cora Dathan and Abiram when the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up, and they perished. The way of the ungodly shall perish. All their lives, all their life, their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations, it will all perish. Everything they have amassed to themselves will perish. All that they have done will fade away. The very walk of iniquity that they delight in, that way will perish. And they will perish in that way. That really is terrible to think about. The terror of hell. These wicked people will not merely cease to exist. That's what they would like to do. They'd like to live up the way they want to, and then when they die, well, that's it. I'm gone. No. They will die eternally. They will be cast away from the presence of God into outer darkness. They will never have fellowship with anyone again, but they will endure the terrible, horrible wrath of God against them for an eternity. There is no end to that, you understand. There is no end to that because God is the is Jehovah, he does not change, and his verdict of judgment upon them will never change. Hopeless misery that we cannot even imagine. Their way shall perish. God has determined that. He has eternally determined where every man, woman, and angel will spend eternity. And for Satan and his host and for every ungodly person, that is hell. This is a righteous judgment of God, absolutely righteous, because the ungodly will be condemned because of their life, because of the guilt on them. They know that there is a God who created all things. They know that this God must be feared, must be worshipped. And instead of worshipping Him, they turned to themselves or something of this earth and they say, I will worship that instead. They know the difference between good and evil and God has shown them this is good, this is what I approve, and they choose deliberately the evil. And so in the judgment they will not stand. They will be condemned. But God's plan is not only that the wicked will be condemned, but that their whole way will perish. This will become manifest. As God has determined that the wickedness, the perverseness of the way of the ungodly will become so clear that it is perverse, that it is is horribly wicked, as sin develops. And we're seeing that. We are seeing it as people will kill their own unborn children and delight in it and scream that they have a right to do this. As men will marry other men And boys will try to change themselves into girls and girls into boys. And you think, how can it get any more perverse? God is filling up the cup of iniquity. He is demonstrating the horrible wickedness of the ungodly. And it will finally come to a head when the Antichrist takes the throne and he controls the world and seeks to destroy the church entirely and live in the utter corruption of man's heart. That way must be destroyed. But God's way is to expose the horrible wickedness of it so that we won't say, well, really, is that so bad? Is that so bad? that a person would spend an eternity in hell just for doing this. But you have to understand, God will show that is the way of the wicked. What we're seeing today, and we'll see worse, that's the way of the wicked. That must perish. And the wicked with them. Again, that's terrifying to think about. Because, and this is especially fearful, when we realize this is the state of wickedness into which every single person is born in this world. So are we, born in that way of wickedness. You and I were not only born in it, but it's so sad we can often imitate the ways of the world. And dress and think and speak as the world. We ought to run from it. We ought to say, I want absolutely nothing to do with the world. That way, we'll perish. But God has something entirely different in store for his people. The ones who are called the righteous ones in the text. They are known eternally by God in love. Their way, the end, is not destruction but blessing. That's evident from the beginning of the psalm. Oh, the blessednesses of this man. And the blessednesses of that man are not merely earthly, not merely temporal for a little while, but they're eternal. The the blessings that God has in store for his people are eternal. Now, I realize that's by implication. It doesn't actually say that. But when it says the way of the wicked shall perish, clearly the way of the righteous is not going to perish. God has determined a blessing. The joys of heaven. The joys of heaven which will only continue for an eternity to expand, to be amplified, to become greater and greater. Which means, first of all, the freedom from everything that afflicts us in this life. Freedom from sin. Freedom from pain. Freedom from death. Freedom from sorrow. And all the misery of this life. Freedom from that. But it's positive. It's life. Glorious life. The Lord, capital letters, Jehovah knows the way of the righteous. That's his covenant name. The name of the covenant God who has brought us into his own covenant life through Jesus Christ. He has in mind that we will live in that covenant life with him forever. That's his goal. Life with God and life with his people. Blessed covenant fellowship. And now if you imagine that the one who delights in the law of God in this world that meditates on his law day and night and that is something that he delights in because when he looks into the Word of God and studies it, he's learning about God, and that's why he's so excited. That's why he does it day after day. Imagine what it's like for that man when he goes to heaven. When God's glory is everywhere, when he has the eyes to behold it, and when God actually speaks and he hears every word God speaks. And his soul is absolutely thrilled to hear it. There will not be any wicked there to mar the joy of heaven. There will not be anybody raging against God. There will not be anyone aiming for his own glory. No one to pervert the law and truth of God. That will be gone. The way of the wicked will be destroyed. With this man, the righteous brought to heaven will be able to serve God perfectly, will be able to walk in the way of the Lord without sin, without any deviation. He will serve the Lord in righteousness. And you understand that all of this is certain because the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous Exactly because he has determined the way of the righteous, exactly because he, he directs the very footsteps of his people and brings them back to the way of righteousness when they stray. They walk, they persevere in the way of God because God preserves them in that way. We sang of that the last Psalter number from Psalm 73. He leads, he guides me by his counsel in order afterward to receive me into glory. God knows the way of the righteous. He's determined that way. He preserves his people in that way. And he leads them to glory in Jesus Christ. There are the two different ends. But it's exactly in that reality of where we're going that we find our unique comfort. Our unique comfort. I say unique because it does not belong to everyone in the world. This comfort is not to the ungodly, they have no comfort. The comfort is only to those who are walking in the way of the Lord. And I say unique also because there really isn't any other comfort. There is only this comfort. It's unique. Let me bring out two things especially about that. First, our comfort is that your salvation and mine is absolutely secure because it is all of God. It does not depend on you. Nothing of your salvation depends on you. Back in the eighteen hundreds, there was a minister by the name of DeKock, and he follows. We, we follow from his footsteps. And it is reported that a godly woman said to him, if I had to contribute so much as a sigh to my salvation, I would be lost. Your eternal salvation does not depend on your sorrow for sin being strong enough or genuine enough Your salvation does not depend on your forsaking sin adequately enough. Your salvation in heaven does not depend on your walking obediently enough. You will do those things. A justified sinner is also sanctified, and that means we will repent. We will turn away from sin. We will strive to walk in obedience. But my point is, your salvation does not depend on you doing it well enough. Salvation is all of God. That's our comfort. And that, by the way, as you know, is what the Protestant Reformed Churches has taught from the beginning and is still teaching today this is what i learned when i was a boy this is what i was taught when i was a seminary student this is what i preached when i was in Dune. this is what i taught when i was a seminary professor and i'm still teaching it today salvation does not depend on you salvation is all of god don't let anybody tell you that we've changed that's our theology always was still is today salvation is all of God but you see that's our comfort you cannot fail you cannot get to a certain point you will not get to a certain point in your life where all of a sudden you make a wrong choice and now You perish. That's not not what happens. It cannot be that you go through your life living in love for God and then in a moment of weakness you throw it all over and you end up in hell. That cannot happen. It would if it depended on me, if it depended on you, but it doesn't. God knows the way of the righteous. And he preserves us. And he brings us to heaven. That's our comfort. He will keep you. He has brought you into the covenant. He's given you a savior that saves to the uttermost. And he gives you every blessing all the way to the end. Secondly, Our comfort is that the Lord knoweth your way and your way and your way and your way. He knows the path you're on. He knows what it includes. Maybe you have suffering. Maybe you have sorrow in your life, overwhelming. Maybe you live with loneliness. Perhaps you are involved in a deep spiritual struggle. You may be persecuted for righteousness sake. Maybe in a marriage that's very difficult. Maybe in a marriage that's broken. You may have physical pain that you live with day after day after day that you can hardly bear it. You may have, be in a hard way that you are making decisions about the future and you just don't know which way to turn, this way, that way, Where, what should I do? And besides the individual difficulties, we are on the pathway that's not the broad and easy way. We're on a narrow pathway, the pathway that's difficult. But the Lord knows your way. And He knows that way because He has determined it for you. Whatever that way includes for you right now, today, He's determined that way for you in love. For your good for your eternal good, even though the earthly circumstances might not look good at all. He has determined it for your eternal good. The way that you are walking is part of that perfect plan for God, of God for you that will lead you to your place in heaven, the place he has determined for each individual he's guiding you by his counsel he will give you grace every single day for every step he's never far removed from you though it can seem that way sometimes he knows the way of the righteous and he's leading you to himself and to the greatest blessedness of living with God. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the promise that thou dost know our way. We know that the un- way of the ungodly will perish. But thou hast determined our way. We give thee thanks and praise for thy wisdom, thy goodness to us, and look forward to the day when our faith will be sight. We will see thee face to face and enjoy all the blessedness that is promised here for Jesus' sake. And in his name we pray, amen.